Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and study your word. We ask that you lead and guide us in all that we see and, and study. And we just thank you for each person that's here. And, and Lord, you know those who aren't here and what, what they need. And we just thank you that you'll meet those needs. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Psalm 72. A Psalm for Solomon. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness unto the king's son. And he shall judge your people with righteousness, and, and the poor, and your poor with judgment. The mountains shall bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people, he shall save the children of the needy, he shall break in pieces the oppressors. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like the rain upon the mown grass, as showers of, that water the earth. In his day shall the righteous flourish in the abundance of peace, so long as the moon endures. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Sheba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him, for he shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him that has no helper. He shall spare the poor and the needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their souls from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. And he shall live, and, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be blessed. There shall be in a handful of corn in, in the earth the top, upon the top of the mountains, and the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like grass in the, of the earth. He shall, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. The men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall, be, shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So we're going to look at this. This is a psalm of David. As it says in the beginning, it's for his son Solomon. And Solomon was going to be king after David. And David chose him before he died. He chose Solomon to be, be his successor. And Solomon was a greatly blessed king in his early days. He, if you remember the story, he had a dream before God, and God said, ask whatever you will, and it will be given to you. And he asked for wisdom. And he asked for wisdom, and God was so impressed that he asked for wisdom that he gave him long life and peace and, and wealth and all these other everything else that he didn't ask for that he could have asked for. And then Solomon did the one thing that was very unwise. He got too many women in his life. <laughs> just, just a total of over a thousand between and wives and concubines. That. That's a lot. <laughs> he, he, he married, if he, if he thought the woman was beautiful, he married her, you know, and he married for, for peace and, and treaties, and he ended up with way too many wives, and they brought him down. You know, they brought him down, and, and God had already said, you know, don't multiply unto you wives. He told the kings, don't multiply to yourselves wives, you know, and, and he got away from God, and he started thinking, look at all the stuff that I have done, and forgot, forgot where it came from. 
And we're going to look at this because this is really, David's blessing on Solomon is what ends up happening. So it's quite an interesting, mm -hmm. it says, give to the king your judgments. And in this case, he's talking about himself. God, give me the right judgments because he was the king at this time. So, and judgment represents that whole idea of giving correct decisions in, in court and, and making the right decisions in dealing with the people. And when a king ruled, all the, they would have sub, you know, minor courts and everything, but all the big cases came to the king and, at the throne and they would make the big judgments. And so he's saying, give me the right judgments and your righteousness unto the king's son and give, and give Solomon righteousness because righteousness is the starting place of good decisions. If we are being righteous, our decisions will start following that righteousness. If you see somebody who's always making bad decisions and, and stirring up trouble, they're not living in righteousness. There's just no way. You can't live in righteousness and be stirring up trouble all the time. Now, living righteous can stir up trouble because the world is unrighteous and isn't going to like your decisions and feel like your decisions are wrong. But you're not going out purposely to stir up trouble. And we all know people like that, that you know, they just got to stir up trouble. If there's, if there's not trouble being stirred up, they're just not happy. David is saying, give my son righteousness because the righteousness is the center of good judgment. The righteousness is the center of right activity out of your life. And this, he shall judge your people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. And poor here really means wretched, oppressed, not financially poor. Okay, this is that poor in spirit. They're just, they're being pressed down. They're being, a, they're being, being mistreated. And it says, because he's in righteous, he will judge the people in righteousness, and he'll care for the poor. And then verse 3, the mountains shall bring peace unto the people, and the little hills by righteousness. Mountains oftentimes in the scriptures represent power, okay, uh, countries and powers. If you remember the, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had of the great statue head of gold, uh, middle of silver, uh, uh, bronze thighs, iron, iron feet. It was the kingdoms of the world. And at the very end of that, he saw a stone come out the size of a mountain and crushed everything. That's the power of God. Okay, so mountains often mean power, uh, authority. So he says, the authority, the power will bring peace to the people. A righteous government brings peace to their people. When the government becomes unrighteous, and it's a guarantee thing, the government will become unrighteous because it will drift from God. The old statement that power corrupts and, pow and absolute power corrupts absolutely is true. Okay, government, governments gain power and keep gaining power, and then when they get enough power, they start to think that they are their own entity. And we're seeing that in our world all around. Almost all the governments seem to be doing this. You know, that they're, they're trying to establish that they are basically God. And we see it in our own country. Our own country, our government is getting to the place where it thinks it's God. It can tell us how to use our property, what to do with our property, what not to do with our property, what to do with our businesses, what not to do with our businesses. And it's getting worse. And it will continue to get worse because that is the nature of something started by man. If it's man-centered, 
it is going to go corrupt. And it doesn't matter what, what it is that you see. You see good businesses built on the foundation of God and honoring God in, the, in, their, in their foundation. And then you see that their kids take them over and they go downhill from there. And then the kids either give it to the grandkids, which ruins it completely, or sells it to somebody, which ruins it completely. <laughs> okay? And you look at something like Sears and Roebuck, started on godly foundation with a man of God who cared about people. And you see where Sears is nowadays, you know, and it's just not the great company that it used to be. <coughs> J.C. Penney's, all these big companies that had men of God that started them and have dwindled down and, and come, you know, lost, their, lost their care for people, lost their respect for quality. And we see it over and over and over again. You see it in, in the Walmart company even, you know, and it's Sam Walton was a man who cared about people and was a man of God, and you see that his kids really didn't, and then they sold it. And you see how far down their company has gone. I don't think it used to be all USA made. Mm -hmm. not well, not only that, but it used to be, yeah. it used to be a really good company. Yeah. And it was the example, it was the example in all the books on how to raise a company and make a, make a company good and profitable, but they left out the most important part was that it was a godly man instituting the company. And we see it in everything that goes on. You watch it. They start out godly, and then they start drifting away from that, and they end up just being greedy and, and, and what, whatever comes down to it. And this is what God is saying here, that if you give my son righteousness, he'll be able to rule. And more than just his son, but, and then verse 4, He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy. He shall break in pieces the oppressor. And this is the, purpose, the job of government, okay? God ordained government, okay? So we don't ever want to say government is bad because it's not inherently bad. The only problem is government is made up of people. And people are inherently sinful and they inherently want power. And so the more that they bring the sinful people in, the more that power is going to be centered in sinful people. Our founding fathers here in America understood this. They understood a republic would not work in the long run because it's made up of human beings and human beings are sinful. And, and they, they, they quoted from the Greek philosopher who said that as soon as they found out that they could buy the vote from the taxes, the, the republic was at an end. Okay? And they understood that that would be the case. And we're seeing just that in our day. You know, they're by, they're by their power, they buy their votes. And who, and who is financing it? The people, because they take it from the taxes. And so we see this, and God is saying the, the position of the government is to protect the, the poor and to save the children of the needy and to defend them. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen like it should. And unfortunately, sometimes they do, they do this in ways that aren't godly and ruin it anyway. Even when they're trying to do what they're supposed to, they make a mess out of it. And why? Because it is made out of human beings not making good decisions. The, and this is why the millennial kingdom and the kingdom after, the new kingdom after the new heaven and earth will be a monarchy with Jesus Christ as king. Okay? Monarchy is the, um, a, a benevolent dictatorship is actually the best, the best form of government. The unfortunate thing is, 
in, in human terms, they don't stay benevolent very long. <laughs> they, they, they turn evil and grasp for more and more power. But in the case of God, he can be benevolent, he can be kind, he can be just, because that's who he is. He's not going to change because he got the power. And we see this all over, all over history. You see people rise to power, and they rise to power because they're saying the government is corrupt and I can take care of you. And they take care of you for, for a short time. Okay? Hitler did not come in like a demon when he came in. He, he treated everybody else. He gave them what they wanted. Uh, Castro was the same way in, in Cuba. He came in and he gave the people what they wanted. Stalin and all these guys in Russia didn't come in with, with all their bad traits. They came in being nice and kind and winning the people over and then slowly went power crazy. Okay? And that's really what happens. You know, they come in, they, they come in sometimes maybe even with the best of desires. But because they get power, all of a sudden it corrupts them and they start wanting. You know, and this is where we are with people. When people have enough power, they're going to take what they want. And you see it all the time. You see it with gangs. They start out really nice to one another. And then it's this, I've got this power you're not leaving unless... Unless I say so, and you're not, and I'm not releasing you, and you're stuck there for life. Yeah, you, know, uh, you, you see this with, and this is the way they get people addicted to even drugs. A lot of times, they'll they'll give you enough free samples to get you hooked, and then when you're stuck and you cannot withdraw, then they're going to go now. Give start giving us the money. Okay, they understand this whole nice, and then and and get power over somebody, and. This is what God says the government is supposed to protect us from. Now, in essence, the government can't protect us completely from the, all of everything, and if we expect them to, we're, we're mm -hmm. asking for too much, too much from the government. I've seen a lot of it on TV. Oh. Uh, in poor towns, and how the probation officers go around California. Yeah. yeah. And then when they try, they get too too crazy. Like you know, like child protection services, a big a big big example. They're to, they're there supposedly to protect kids, but what they are there is to terrorize adults yeah. and parents. And you know, and it's a really sad thing because they usually their attitude is you're guilty until proven innocent instead of innocent until proven guilty. Right. And I understand why they say that because they're protecting the most innocent of all the. But I mean. If, you know, all they need is somebody to cause trouble in your, in your life by just making an accusation, and, and when they're coming in guilty until proven innocent, it's totally backwards, and life can be shaken upside down. But they'll put you in jail, let me say you're innocent to proven guilty, but why do they put you in jail, and why won't they let you out until you go to court? Well, that's, that's to keep people protected at the same time. Oh. Yeah. Putting somebody in jail until they've gone through court and, and, and had their day at court is, is, is sense. You know, because they can do a lot of damage. And if you're violent enough, you can, you can change all the witnesses' testimony real quick, you know, mm -hmm. while you're out, uh, <laughs> while you're out uh, threatening, threatening lives and, and families. You, know, you can change everybody's testimony real quick. So it's, you know, it, it's better that way. So... Yes, it, yes, it's a pain in the neck for the innocent who falls into the system, but it's, it's the protection of everybody in the long run. All right, verse 5. They shall fear you as long as the sun and the moon endures throughout all generations. And this is coming, this is coming back now to talk about God. He's going to be feared. 
He's going to be feared. And I love this. As long as the sun and the moon throughout all generations, all time. But he could have said even more beyond time. But how do you, you, know, how do you describe time? You know, he'd have said for all eternity. And it's pretty much what he's saying here. For, as long as time endures, God's going to be feared. And then after time, we're, we're seeing him personally. So we'll, fear him, we'll have that fear anyway. So it's, and uh, verse 6, He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass and showers that water the earth. This is that idea that he will be honored, honored, and this idea, the idea of rain on mown grass. I mean, it's oh, a sweet scent. It's a nice scent. It's a nice smell when when rain falls on grass. Those of us in the desert, you know, here if you've lived your whole life in the desert, you have no idea what this means. But uh, for most of us, we've lived outside the desert at some time in our life, and you smell that that grass and the rain and the dew get on the grass, and it releases the scent even more. And that's a very beautiful smell, unless you're allergic to it. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a very, very, very nice smell. And then showers that water the earth, you know, the, the watering of the earth. And you know, it's been fun kind of watching the, the, the desert even this year as we've had enough rain that it's, it's got a lot, of green to, a lot of green to it and green up on the mountains. You know, not, not dark green or anything, but there are things alive and growing right now that don't usually grow. And again, for those poor people with allergies, it's not a good time for them. But it does look pretty. <laughs> Verse 7, In his days shall the righteous flourish, and the abundance of peace so long as the moon endures. So this is, in Solomon's day, they flourished. And we're going to see later on how he's asking them for it. And in Solomon's day, it was the one time that Israel had the land that it was told that they were going to have. From the river Euphrates... <laughs> all the way to the Mediterranean, down to almost Egypt, and then all the way over to the Great Desert, the, the desert. And Solomon controlled all of that land. And people were flourishing. Another verse says that silver was as dust. It was so abundant that it was like, it, it, its worth was as if you went out there and tried to pay somebody with a handful of dirt. You know, it's a, and you have a handful of silver and they're looking at you, well, what are you trying to pay me with this for? And we, we can't even com comprehend that. You know, silver has great value even in our day. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, in, his, in Solomon's day, silver was as abundant as dust and it, it was worthless. Gold wasn't far behind because of the abundance that he had. Well, we've talked about that before and also we're coming to a time in the, in the, Revelation that says that silver and gold is going to be worthless. Right. You're going to work all day and your pay will be enough food to keep one person alive. That is making what we consider valuable stuff totally worthless because food becomes of value to you and, and money is totally worthless and it's, that'll show how bad our economy has become. We're, we are coming to a time when all of this is going to happen. The economy is going to crash so much that food is going to be what's valuable to people. And not the money, not the, not the gold that you have in your, in your safe, not the gems you have in there. It's going to be food that's going to be extremely valuable because of the preciousness of it. And this is something we see. The most people in, this, in, this, in our country especially, number one, don't even know how to grow food, don't know how to hunt food, don't know how to can any food that they were to get anyway, and don't have any food in their, you know, food more than a couple weeks at best in their, in their pantries. And if the economy fell, 
they're going to starve to death very quickly. And it is going to fall. Now, whether it's in our lifetime, and I do believe it is, is another story coming. The Bible tells us it's coming. It tells us that, that, uh, that it will be, gold will be basically worthless. A bag of, bag of gold will buy a loaf of bread. Uh, and we figure, we can buy a loaf of bread for a buck. You know, if you want the expensive bread, three bucks. Uh, verse 8, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river, from the river unto the ends of the earth. So again, he's talking about, he's, he's giving the blessing of Sam, uh, Solomon. And sea to sea, that is the Red Sea to the, to the uh, Mediterranean Sea over to the, to the Gulf of Persia. And from the river, which refers to Euphrates. And, you know, he's, he's telling him that Solomon is going to basically rule the world. And he did. For a very short time, Israel was the center of the world, and they were at peace. David was a military leader. He'd conquered most of these lands. He turned them into vassals, and his son, all he had to do was keep them. And the one problem that Solomon did have is he taxed his people extremely. <laughs> Okay, how do we know that? Because when Solomon dies and his son takes over, they, they send a delegation to him and saying, you know, hey, Solomon, we, you know, we're, we're being, um, excuse me, I can't remember if it was Jeroboam or Rehoboam, but one of the two, you know, we, we're being taxed to, you know, taxed to death. Your father has put great taxes on us. Would you please mm -hmm. drop the taxes and give us some relief? And so his son, Solomon's son, went to, went to Solomon's advisors and said, you, you should listen to them, Get, you know, be nice to them, drop their taxes. And he didn't like that story, so he went to his friends, his young friends who didn't know anything, and, they, and what did they tell him? He said, you tell them, you think my father was bad. <laughs> you know, my finger will be as his thigh. <laughs> okay, and he made their taxes greater, and then they, he lost 10, 10 tribes of Israel out of the deal. They revolted because of his mistreating. So Solomon was very heavily taxed. Now they got lots out of it. They had parks, they had entertainment, they, you know, they had all kinds of things that they got to do from these taxes, but still nobody likes most of your money that you make going to taxes. And nobody does. No matter what you get for it, you don't want all your money going to taxes. And, uh, and so Solomon ruled, and David saw this. David gave him this blessing and this thing. You're going to own, you're going to control all of this. David had some visions of the future and, and knew how to speak them forward. And here he was. And verse 9, And they that dwell in the wilderness shall, dwell, shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. And this was what happened to Solomon. His, you know, everybody bowed before him, and the few enemies he had bowed before him. They, 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 did, they, didn't, they were never successful in attacking him. David was always defending his borders. <laughs> now he was a military giant and had, you know, he went out and he fought and he won every battle, or most every battle. Solomon, when you read Solomon's life, he never really faced the battles. They were, they were quelled by then. Now he still had a strong army and I'm sure the generals went out and, and took care of some battles that didn't get recorded in God's word because you know, you're not going to be, have everything like Solomon did and not be a target. But he didn't have any great wars. He didn't have any great uprisings. And his enemy literally just licked the dust, basically. They, they wanted to do more but couldn't. And dust is that idea of the, 
when the serpent was cursed in the Garden of Eden and said, you on your belly we will crawl and you will eat the dust of the earth. And that dust is that dryness, that, that desire to do more but not being able to. And it says your enemies are going to be like that. And he says, the kings of Tarshish and the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and the Sheba shall offer gifts. Now Tarshish, as far as most people accept, is somewhere in the vicinity of Spain around the Gibraltar, Gibraltar Peninsula there. It's about as far as you can get in the Mediterranean and still be in the Mediterranean is what they believe. And if you remember, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, which was northeast of where he was, supposed, where he was staying, and he went west <laughs> to, to, to Tarshish. He's going to go, I'm going as far away as I possibly can go, and God brought him back. <laughs> okay, but David here is saying, these kings far away are going to give you gifts. Your, your, your influence is going to be all around the world. And it is told that, it is told of, to us that when Solomon ruled, he was the wisest man. He knew just about everything there was to know about anything. And people would come to him with their questions and their honor. And when they came with questions, they didn't come empty-handed. You know, they had to come with some kind of gift. Okay. And so he had everything, and there were people that came from everywhere. The Queen of Sheba came to him, and she was the one that, she was from the Ethiopian area uh, in that north, northeastern part of uh, Africa, and she, she came to him to ask questions. And this is David saying, you're going to receive presents. You're going to receive them from, from as far away as Tarshish. You're going to get them from, from Ethiopia, which... Ethiopia was about as far as and into Africa that that world understood because you had this great big desert called the Sahara Desert that kind of blocked you from going, going any further. But we already know that he also had control of a lot of the lands because we know that even in that day they knew of India. They knew of China. China's been known to the, to the Middle East and the, in the European world forever. We just had no way to get there because you had to go over the passes over the mountains, so you pretty much stopped at India. So there was never any conquering of India because, because the mountains gave them great protection. And so he's saying, you're going to get all these gifts. And it says, yea, and all the kings shall fall down before you. All nations shall serve him. And again, this was that idea. They came to him. They came to him for questions. They came to check out his wisdom. The Queen of Sheba said that, it, the, that what she was told didn't even touch what he, what, what he really had. And it is said that he wrote books on just about every topic there is. Herb, herbs and insects and farming and, and you know, whatever it was, he understood it. God gave him great wisdom as no man has ever. And then God said, you will have wisdom as no other person has ever had or will have. You know, we have lots of information at our fingertips nowadays with the computers and Google and all of that. But in that day, to have all that knowledge. You know, but it's a great example of how you can have knowledge and not, have not really truly have wisdom. Because, and we've all met people who seem to know a lot of things, but man, they just make a mess out of being the know-it-all. And, and, you know, and they know all the answers and nobody wants to be around them because they know all their ans answers in there. And they're obnoxious about it. 
You know, they don't have any humility, no, no real true understanding of it. And that's a very bad combination. With, without humility, you can really make people dislike what you know. And you become obnoxious. <laughs> and unfortunately, this is one of the things that Solomon did eventually. He just became kind of obnoxious about it because he stopped looking to God. And he started looking at other things. The book of Ecclesiastes is all about Solomon trying to find peace. He forgot God. God gave him, God asked him, what do you want? God, give me wisdom so I can rule these people because I'm, I'm really humble. I, I'm just a, la a child. You know, he's in his 30s or 40s. I'm just a child. I, I, can't, I can't handle these, you know, handle ruling these people. Give me wisdom. God gives him wisdom. Then he forgets God <laughs> and loses all the peace that he had, that he should have had because of his, and then he starts searching for God. And Ecclesiastes talks about how he built huge parks and, and entertainment districts and, and invested in all the different entertainment, found out that didn't get in. Then he looked into to different alcohols and then he looked into building big stately buildings and, you know, and then he owned all these slaves and then he had, owned all these, he had all these wives and nowhere did he find peace because he didn't go to the source of peace. True peace only comes from God. And we've got to be able to understand that or we'll never find peace in our life. If we're trying to find peace in anything other than God, we will fail. Because nothing that man does will bring, bring lasting peace. Now, we all know that every once in a while you get something and you're happy with it for, for a while. You get that brand new car and the new car smell and you know, you're really happy with it. It's, it's making you happy until you get that first scratch or dent in it and it's like, how can I mess up my car? And all of a sudden you're mad and you, know, you get the brand new house and you're really happy with it until, you know, until technology makes your house out of date and it's, you know, and it's like, I, sh I want something different. Uh, you know, a new friend makes you happy until you find out that they have flaws just like everybody else. Uh, you know, so we, if we're not looking to God, we will never have true peace, true lasting peace. And God tells us that the peace he gives us is peace that passes understanding. And this is so important because when, when all the world seems against you and you're, and you're sitting there following God and, and you're at peace, the world looks at you and says, how can you have peace with all of this going on? Because my peace isn't in what the world gives me. The peace isn't in what the world is doing to me. My peace is in God. My peace is in the future hope of heaven where, I'm, where my home is. And we look at somebody like Job who has everything taken away from him in a, in a very short period of time. And his answer is, naked I came into this world, naked I will re return. You know, <laughs> blessed, blessed be the name of the, of the Lord. He's going, God's got, God's got me. He's got my back. He's got me protected. And as long as our heart is on this world, we will never have peace. If our heart is in heaven and toward God, we will have great peace because nothing can shake that confidence and that peace because my peace is where God God my my nothing on this earth is going to give me peace you know it'll give me temporary peace it might give me temporary pleasure but ultimately anything on this earth is can be destroyed can and will be destroyed but if my hope is in God in heaven and all my treasures are in heaven my peace is there that's one thing I've changed a lot because I always think my items are so great now I always tell people, you know, I said everything for sale. I said 
you know, I enjoyed it long enough, let somebody else, and I don't say exactly from that Bible says, I said, I come on earth with nothing and you leave it with nothing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I used to really think myself as valuable to me. Not anymore, you know. Yep. Even I hate to say not being mean, if it all burnt down, fine. And that shows where your heart is with it because the only thing that we have is what we send ahead of us with God. And that's letting him work through us and giving us blessings. And, you know, I have no idea what's up there in heaven waiting for me, but I know that there's things up there waiting for heaven because I know there's times when God has done the work in me, so I know there's things up there for me and what they are. And like you say, peace, like I'm, I'm happy and satisfied at my house. It's an old house, and people say, are you live here or are you happy? I said, yeah, I'm very happy here, you know. I mean, I love it here, you know yeah. what I mean? Because it's just a house. I'm just, you know. Yep. People and, always say, well, don't you want something better? I said, like what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem is there's always something better in this world. Mm -hmm. Okay. I get the house of my dreams and then, then 10, 20 years later. Even I, I, too, then. Well, yeah. even forgetting the payment. Some, let's say you've got it and it's paid for. <coughs> and then... A couple years later, it's like, well, it doesn't have this, it doesn't have this, it has this problem, and you start looking for more. You get the car of your dreams, and the next thing you know, you want something more, more powerful, more fuel economy, you know, less expensive to maintain, whatever it might be. You know. <laughs> but this is the problem that we, that we face. If, our, if anything that we want in this earth is never going to be enough, because the, the flesh always desires more always desires more and we see it as we're growing up in our years when you know I look back and I used to live on minimum wage with a wife and a, and a, and a son and we and we sacrificed a lot of things and we lived and we were we were happy mm -hmm. I got a little extra pay and what was the first thing we did we got a better house a, a, you know got a car and you know and got a little more money got a little more you know and this happens to us yeah. all the time and it's not it's not bad necessarily as long as we're not saying this is what makes me happy, but, but God is saying the flesh is never going to be satisfied. Right. Never. So we live in the spirit, we live in God, and we say, God, you're my confidence, you're my, you're my hope, you're my, you're, you're my everything. And we put our faith and hope in him. And maybe he'll bless us with better stuff, better stuff, but our, but our goal isn't to better get more, get, you know, get better stuff, more stuff. It's God. I'm just blessed for what I have. Yeah. And I keep thanking God. I hope I'm a good manager managing all of your stuff because I used to never say it that way. But none of it's really mine. It's all God. And he just, I'm being blessed, I think. He yeah. Is. And that's where blessing comes. Yeah. Is knowing that whether he's given me much or little, yeah. it's what he's given me. Just like today. And being content. I, did, I don't know how many people I told when I found my glasses. It was like winning a million dollars. Yeah. Because to me that was a prayer being answered and I knew it was but I just, I didn't know when because God yeah. don't give it to you. He has the time. It's not me. Yep. Verse 12. For he shall deliver the needy when, they, when he cries the poor also and him that has no helper he shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. Again David is saying He's going to be a good king. He's going to take care of the poor. Now, unfortunately, Solomon didn't do this for his entire life. He started out right. But 
And I'm sure some of his taxes originally went to help the poor and the needy, but toward the end, it wasn't so much to help them. It was to help build all the stuff that he was trying to find peace with. And, but the government's job is to take care of the poor and needy. The government's job is to protect, protect with, the government, uh, with the military. And so we see all this. And he says, verse 14, He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. In other words, he's going to when they're when they're being mistreated, he's the Solomon would, the government would be there to help deliver them, and precious is is their blood. We need to be able to look at that people when they're being attacked and being being misused. Sometimes there's a time to step in and say, no, this cannot happen. This has to stop. And sometimes the question is, how do you do that? And and again. Our government works against us anymore. Mm -hmm. you know, it, there's places that want to feed the poor in the park and you know give them sandwiches, and the and the government says no, you you can't do that because you're not, you know, you're not a you're not a approved entity. You may, and and the reason they'll say it is you're not trying to help them, you're trying to poison them. You know, you're just trying to kill them and poison them. You know, and it, and it's a really sad way that they twist and manipulate their their logic to try to keep people from helping the poor and being able to reach out to the poor. And yet, God is saying, this is the government's job was to do that. And it's part of us as the church to be able to reach out and, and fight these different ways of being attacked and stopping them from helping, each, helping people. Verse 15, and he shall live and he shall be, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually and daily shall he be praised. One of the greatest things that happened was when people pray for their leaders. And the Bible tells us that we're to pray for our leaders in government. Now, sometimes that's hard to do. Uh, right now, it's hard to do with our current government leaders. Uh, in the past, there's been times when it's been very hard to pray for our government leaders because you know they're taking us down the wrong path. And yet, God says, pray for them. And the one thing we want to share on that is God knew who our leaders would be, even before they were elected. And for the most part, this country is getting the leaders we deserve because of where we're at as a country. This country is headed down the wrong path as, as a whole, and they're electing leaders that'll help grease the, grease the slide to keep down, going down that hill. Uh, churches need to be doing a better job of evangelizing, getting people saved, so that we can then elect leaders who will be godly leaders and be able to give us righteousness back to the land. But as long as the land is going to continue down the wrong path, as strongly as it does, we're going to have problems. And I'm not saying that everybody in this country is bad, you know, morally bad, but a lot of them are. A lot of them have given up God's word and say, well, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll accept all this different corruption, we'll accept all these different different sins as, as being okay. You know, started out with, in the 60s with the whole idea of just fornication, living together without being married, and become, became acceptable. You know, before 1960, if you lived together, you were, you were considered uh, really sinful and not, not somebody who would even be acknowledged or talked to because you were, you were bad. <laughs> And if you got pregnant, that was even oh worse. We call it personal peace and affluence. Oh my God. Me, me, me. Yeah. 
But so we started there, and now we're fighting with the homosexual rights. And but it started, and most people didn't realize. A lot of churches didn't really fight hard against the fornication side of things because, oh well, we don't want to pe people think we're we're too narrow-minded, and and now we've got this whole homosexuality, which is already, as it's starting to get its position, it's already starting to get into pedophilia and, and, and bestiality and all these other things where they're saying, well, if it's okay for this, then why can't I do? And you're already hearing the slippery slope on this, this sexual perversions. And it all started way back when we started, no, it actually started in, for America in the 1850s when they started kicking God out of the school, period. And then have continued, continued from that point. You removed God, and then you started teaching people that they're basically just glorified animals, and all of a sudden anything becomes okay. And the more we teach kids that they're glorified animals, evolved animals, the more there's going to be no rules. Because if you can kick God out of the, out of the idea of creation, then there's nobody to give you rules. All right, so he's going to be praised daily. Verse 16, there shall be a handful of corn on... on in the earth upon the top of the mountains, the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. And here he's picturing their abundance on high, and that abundance coming down, rolling down. And in, in Solomon's day, that was a true statement. You know, they had plenty of food, they had plenty, they had more, more wealth than they knew what to do with, and the people had, the people had wealth. It wasn't worth anything in Israel, but you left Israel, it was worth a lot, worth, worth money. But it says that you know, the abundance, the city shall flourish like grass. You know, and in verse 17, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. Men shall bless him and all nations shall call him blessed. And again, this was what, what happened with, with Solomon. Everybody came to him. He had people coming from, from every every place in the world were coming to him to get the blessing, to, to have, have him share the, his knowledge. And then 18, blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And I love this verse when it comes, you know, David is saying this, the blessings come from God, but I love this, the last part of this, who only does wondrous things. Is that how we think of God all the time? No. A lot of people think, you know, God, why are you letting me all these bad things happen to me? You know, God says, I've got a reason for it. It's, it's, for your, it's for good. He only does wondrous things. The old adage that is, going, that is oftentimes said in churches, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Okay? And we need to really grab hold of that. God is good good and he's good all the time okay he is not standing up in heaven looking you know as i say he's, you know there's a lot of people who think god is you know god is playing whack-a-mole with them if they stick their head up he's trying to smack them back down but like you said god gave up his son son gave his son for us well that's the cost it shows the cost he paid, wanted to pay for us and all the pain yeah. And, but he did that because he loved us. Right. Not because he wants to destroy us or beat us up or keep us from having fun or... You know, I'm just, I, I just thought of it. Do you know how old his son was when he died on the cross? 
I believe that he was 34. 34? Most people say 33, but I think, I believe he ministered for four years, which is, this right now isn't the time to be going into why, but he, because he was the, he was the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was brought into the house and looked over, looked after for four days. And because he was the Passover lamb, I believe that he was, that he was on display for four years, that he was on display for four years to show his perfection before he died. Uh, that is my reasoning behind that. Uh, I haven't sat down and tried to count the Passovers and the celebrations. Uh, many, have, many have done that. Uh, we know that there's at least three years in, in the Gospels, and I believe that there's, I really truly believe there's four. Uh, but so I believe that he was 34 because we do know that he ministered at 30, started ministering at 30. But God does only wonderful things. He only does good things because he is good and he wants to give us great blessings. He was created to have dominion over the earth. So yes, he would give skills to be able to do this stuff. Yeah, he gave all each a different talent. Yeah, everybody has different talents and, and different, yeah. different, different skills and they don't always use them for God. All right, we're going to try to tie this up, the last two verses. 19. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen, amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And this is God, David praising God at the end of this prayer, that God is, has a glorious name, and it will always be glorious, and the whole earth is to be filled with his glory. Man was really ultimately placed on this earth to give glory to God, to bring glory to him. Now, what that means can be anywhere from the practical, the practical jobs that we do to, you know, and the work we do. And Adam and Eve were created, and, and the reason they were created was to give glory to God and to work the garden. And each individual has had different skill sets that they've, they've, they've followed. And God has given, you know, you look at somebody like Moses, you know, Moses was raised up in the house of Pharaoh so that he would learn how to govern, how to be a military leader, how to govern, how to, how to organize, and how to, and, you know, and that's why God put him where he was. And each person is, is given a set of skills for what God is wanting them to do. Somebody like Billy Graham who learned to preach and, and teach and started out in small churches and then built his way up to evangelizing to millions and having his being able to talk to great leaders about God. Well, one thing, he didn't give me a gift of singing, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why he says he make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Yeah. So, all right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to look at the word. We ask that you go with us and guide us this week and give us opportunities to share you with others and, and lift you up in a mighty way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.